So we come to our final um, <clears throat> fruit of the Spirit, uh, self-control. And if we think about times when we talk about people losing control, um, we might get a sense of just how important self-control is. We talk about people losing control, maybe a pilot of an aircraft or of a helicopter, a frenzied attack, uh, a protest gets out of control and becomes a riot, the forest fire getting out of control. Out of control can be lethally dangerous. And so while self-control might not sound at first as fulfilling a, a thing as joy or peace or whatever, it matters. It matters very much. And this passage in Galatians 5, um, in which Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit at verses 22 and 23, the context that, of the passage gives a, a good idea as to why self-control matters so much. There's a conflict going on. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to the, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Now, the use of flesh here is not simply our physical bodies as opposed to spirit being the immaterial. Rather, flesh is used in the sense of everything that is self-seeking, that is ungodly, as opposed to the spiritual, which is focused on God and following God, spirit-led, Holy Spirit-led. And these two things are in conflict, the flesh and the, the spirit. And rather than simply be at the mercy of whatever urges might grip us, we are to, verse 16, live by the Spirit, or verse 18, be led by the Spirit, and so not gratify, verse 16, the desires of the flesh. There's conflict. And in verses 19 to 21, Paul lists some of the desires and actions that are contrary to life in the Spirit, contrary to the way of Jesus. They relate, yes, to sexual behavior, but also to religion, to relationships, to substance abuse. And those who live according to these desires and actions, he says in verse 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't mean that anybody who slips up at all in any of these areas is banished from God's kingdom, because that would exclude all of us. None of us are 100% perfect. No, he's not talking of lapses. He's talking about those who live a way of life that is set on at least some of these things. God is a God of mercy and who forgives. And those who repent and confess and who repent on a regular basis will find forgiveness and find their place in the kingdom of God. And finding our place in the kingdom of God means we are to live as people of that kingdom, citizens of that kingdom. Some of the sins that Paul has mentioned in these verses characterize the irreligious, but some are features of religious lifestyle. Religious people are prone to selfishness, envy, factions, and so on. And so all of us need self-control. All of us need to grow a resistance to sinning. And all of us need to grow a discipline to follow the way of Jesus. Now, we each have a part to play in resisting temptation and in overcoming desires and the pull of our sinful nature, but it's not simply down to our energy and effort. Christians have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit, or they're not a Christian at all. 
And the Spirit works in our lives to grow the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. It is the work of the Spirit to grow that life of Christ in us. And in the past eight weeks, we have looked at the fruit one by one. And the final one, the ninth one on the list, self-control, is about how we are to be in control of our appetites, our desires, our reactions, our ambitions, and so on so that we, with the Spirit's help, can become more Christ-like. Self-control involves the recognition that sin is not just some occasional lapse, but a force, a power that can be in our lives that we are to resist. And if life is not focused on following Jesus, and if the fruit of the Spirit is not grown, then we become worse just as a garden that's not looked after or tended becomes weed-infested or overgrown, it doesn't simply just remain the same. So a life that is not focused on the way of Jesus, so a life that is not Spirit-led, doesn't stay as it was before, doesn't stay neutral, it gets worse. And so there are two ways, and we're choosing the right way and to go the way of Christ involves are bringing into play this final fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Let me illustrate that with reference to two Old Testament stories. In the first, Joseph has been taken into slavery and made a slave in Potiphar's house. He has worked his way up and given a lot more responsibility in the house. But Potiphar's wife has taken a fancy to Joseph, and in Genesis 39, she tries to seduce him. Joseph clears off. He gets out of there. Now, in the event, lies were told about him, and he was punished for something that he hadn't done. But the Lord remained with him, and things turned well. He was in the right place much later on to help out his family in a time of famine. By contrast to that, in 2 Samuel 11, we read the story of David and Bathsheba. David has gone out on the roof at home. His armies are away fighting, and his, as a king, he ought to have been with them. But he'd stayed back, and now on a sunny day, he was out on the roof, and there he saw in the distance Bathsheba having a bath. David should have had self-control. David should have gone back inside the house. But no, he stayed in the roof. He watched. His look lingered. Who is this woman? He finds out. He invites her over. He has sex with her. He gets her pregnant and then tries to cover it up by bringing her husband home. And when that doesn't work, he has her husband killed in battle. And years later, the child that Bathsheba bore becomes a real torment to David, and ruins family relationships and generations ahead. David didn't have self-control, or at least not at that instance, and great damage followed. Lack of self-control has led to sexual anarchy and caused colossal suffering in the years since David's time. All over the world, women and girls have suffered at the hands of rapists, pimps, sex traffickers, abusers, adulterers, pornographers. 
And often, it's not that a man has set out to be one or more of these, but the lack of self-control has taken him further and further into trouble where he oppresses and lashes out and brings harm and danger to others. The not controlling, the not mastering our desires very often leads to sad and oppressive outcomes. Self-control is vital in other areas of our lives too. Our appetites for, for food and for drink, amongst other things. The longing, the hankering that some have after the bigger thrill, the heightened experience. Our tongues, as James says in his chapter 3 of his book, so seemingly little and simple, but what great damage they do if we do not control them. Attitudes, do we let jealousy grow? Revenge thoughts take control. You see, self-control is needed to master all of these. And self-control and the other eight fruit that Paul mentions in verses 22 and 23, and which we've looked at in these past couple of months, they're about how we resist these destructive ways, and how rather we grow as followers of Jesus. And the promise here is that the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit's at work. But how does the fruit of the Spirit take root in our hearts and be produced in our lives? Well, verses 24 to 26 of the reading are about that. Three things there. One, we need to remember that we belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24. In the previous verse, when Paul has said, against such things, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. He doesn't mean there's a law banning these things. Nobody's going to pass a law outlawing peace or love or something like that. Rather, he means that there is no way that any law can make these things happen. You can't pass a law or just simply give a rule or an instruction and someone becomes more loving, more joyful, more patient, more kind, and so on. These are transformations that begin within. They come from the new life we have in Christ, given us through the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that that kind of Christ-like living doesn't come firstly from obeying laws, but by from submitting to Jesus by faith and by nurturing the life of Christ in us. The kinds of attitudes and behaviors that Paul lists in verses 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit, they come through our being a new person, a new creation in Christ. So, one, remember whose we are. We belong to Jesus. We, we are not our own if we are in Christ and if we are Christians. And secondly, verse 24, he says, because we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's about strangling sin at the motivational level. So David should have done that, shouldn't he, on the rooftop? He saw Bathsheba, he, he became attracted, he should have strangled her at that point and gone back indoors. Crucifying the flesh is that kind of thing. It's taking these desires by the scruff of the neck and throwing them out of our life. They're part of the true and regular repentance that should be a daily experience for Christians. 
And the way we live the Christian life is a way that involves decisive action to squash sin. We have crucified the flesh, says Paul. That's pretty definite, isn't it? That's pretty final. And so we have to work at that. There are places that I should not go. There are things that I should not look at. Jokes that I should not tell. Stories I should not listen to. Words that I should not say. Conversations that I shouldn't take part in. Attitudes towards other people that I shouldn't hold. Desires that I shouldn't give into. Feelings that that I ought to rebuke and suppress, and so on. Now, I think largely, not always, but largely, we know what these kind of things are. It's a resolve to crucify them. It's a resolve to quash them that's not always apparent enough amongst Christians. But if we belong to Christ, verse 24, we are to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. So we need to remember it's the way of Jesus. We need to take action. We did decisively squash and, and strangle wrong attitudes and motivations. And then thirdly, verse 25, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. That is, we reject one path in order to follow another. So we turn from un-Jesus-like behavior so that we can better follow Him. And that is done by keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, the word used uh, here for keeping in step is a bit of a military word, a bit like our word marching. So it's more than just simply going along with or chumming the Spirit for a while. It is a concerted, focused nurturing of the ways of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's a reminder that we do this together. Soldiers were trained to keep in step with one another, to stay in line in order that they might face the enemy with united strength. Shoulder to shoulder is how we would express that. And so keeping in step with the Spirit is the only way to be a Christian. It's basic Christian life. And just as the disciples and the Gospels were following Jesus, going with Jesus, relying on Jesus, learning from Jesus, so disciples today are to do the same through the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, to go with Jesus, to rely on Jesus, and to put Jesus' teaching and ways into practice. That is, we need to become more and more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do and called to be. Why should someone become a Christian and be a Christian in order to be, have, to be more with Christ and more like Christ? The response to the gospel is not simply, do I believe in God? Can I think that there's a good place for us to go when we die or so on? Rather, the response to the gospel is to follow, to become, to be transformed by the Spirit of God, to trust the Savior and become more like Him. Now, if someone were to give me a recording of all of Beethoven's symphonies and, and I were to listen to them diligently, that wouldn't mean that after a while I could go and write a symphony every bit as good. If someone showed me painting after painting by Rembrandt, 
that wouldn't make me an artist. But if somehow the spirit of Beethoven could come and, and be with me, well, maybe then I could write some decent music. Maybe if the spirit of Rembrandt could come and be in me, and I could maybe paint a bit. But that's not going to happen. But the contrast here is the spirit of Jesus is with, is among us, is given to us so that we can then live the Jesus life, so that we can then do the Jesus stuff. And that's important not just for ourselves, but for others too. You see, the folks that we know they won't necessarily have a good idea these days about who Jesus is and what he's like. And they're not going to try and figure that out for themselves. They need to see Jesus. How are they going to do that? They're going to need to see Jesus by seeing the life and the ways of Jesus lived out among Jesus' people. They should be able to read our lives and hear the gospel. That's why growing the fruit of the Spirit is so, so, so important. And the life-changing, transforming power of the Holy Spirit, the very power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 1, 4, that raised Jesus from the dead, is given to you, given to me, so that we can fight the flesh and so that we can grow the life of Christ. One Christian leader of the last century used to pray this every morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that should not really be just for our leaders. That should not really be for outstanding Christian. This is basic Christianity. To live in the presence of God and please God, to take up the cross of, and follow Jesus, and to grow the fruit of the Spirit day by day. Do we really want to go back to normal once lockdown is over? Well, in certain respects, yeah. But I hope and pray not. I hope and pray that we can set our hearts on becoming better, more Jesus-like. I hope and pray that we can live more of the life of Christ and so give the world what it needs most, a clear idea of who Jesus is and why he's worth it. Our family, our friends, our neighbors will need to see the life of Jesus in your life and in my life. That is why we've spent these past weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. It's to grow the Jesus life. 
This is who we are and what we're to become in order to please the Lord, in order to be building His church, and in order to show and share Jesus in a broken and in a hurting world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in Your presence and please You more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow You. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day You will fill me with Yourself and cause Your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.